Welcome to Yeah, Uh-Huh with and Phil. And if you've noticed, I did not hear my lovely better half's voice because she's not here with us today. Unfortunately, Lisa uh, is in the hospital and um, she could have come on. She actually thought about coming on from the hospital, but she she needs a rest right now. So I'm going to go ahead and fly not solo this week. We have my sister, Terry, and of course, Aaron, our frequent flyer from California. Man, his arms must be tired. And our guest is Gary Hill. Gary is the author of Spooky Rockford and Spooky Rockford 2, which are the two books that we're going to cover for the most part on this episode, and also the host of The Spooky Ventures, and also a music journalist and interviewer for the Music Street Journal. So Gary Hill. All right, Gary, so welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. I asked my sister to join, my sister Terry, uh-huh. because, uh, you know, we've read... I read the second book, Rock, uh, Spooky Rockford 2, and, I, and <laughs> my sister Terry actually lived in Rockford for quite a while and was familiar with a lot of the, the sites and things that Very you talk cool. about in the book. So I, I like having her on. She's a good uh, conversationalist, so I thought it would be good to have her. Terry, how are you? Good to good. see you. <laughs> good to see you, and thank you. Yeah. So, oh, we're all here, with the exception yeah, so- of yeah, how, what's the latest on Lisa? I think I missed the... So they're saying maybe maybe tomorrow, maybe Monday. Maybe well, coming home. Right. Okay. Yeah, I hope so. As soon as their numbers get down, I guess. Yeah. What's well, good news? Get well soon, Lisa. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Um, we're thinking about her. It's not the same show without her. <laughs> but uh, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, move along because, Gary, uh, we've been wanting to get you on before now because... Um, we've been in converse, conversations for a couple months here, but you know, yeah. wanted to keep this date because you are an interesting, um, creative person, and we're always wanting those type of people on. You, you have uh, irons in the fire with music, with your Music Street Journal, which has mm-hmm. been online for quite a while now, which kind of specializes in progressive rock. Also, you're an author. Um, you, you've written a, a multitude of books. I can see that you have Cthulhu on your wall there. Oh, Is yeah. How you pronounce that? <laughs> Drinks on Cthulhu, yeah. I, I, there, are, there are multiple pronunciations for it. You'd probably have to add, ask H.P. Lovecraft for the real pronunciation, but he's long gone, so. <laughs> I'm only familiar with it from The Call of Cthulhu, I think the Metallica song. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, which they spelled it differently, but yeah. And that's in the book. I talk about that one in the book. But the two books that uh, we were we kind of zoned in on for this episode were the two books, Spooky Rockford and Spooky Rockford 2, which you um, allowed us to sample. And I appreciate that. And I got I, I planned on reading both of them. But with everything that was going on with the, my wife, I wound up re- reading the second one. Lisa and I both read that we had it up on the big screen and we went through that together the other night. I wanted to mention, I want to mention one thing. Um, what I was my zoom had to do a update when I first tried to come on, but I was able to see and hear you two chatting. You were chatting. It sounded like about UFOs and it's oh, yeah. one. There's a whole, a, a fictionalized account of a bunch of UFO encounters that happened in Rockford uh, in like the nineties. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, they're all, I literally took it all from real accounts. I changed a few things here and there, but for the most part, it's all real accounts. And some of them were mine and, but I just changed my name because I didn't want to put my name in there. I wanted to make it fictionalized and the endings fictionalized, but yeah. So I thought you might find that interesting. So I heard you chatting a little bit about UFOs. Talk about it, Terry. I'm sorry. I don't know when to pop in. Um, I think that's probably the same one. My son, Troy, lived down on Crosby, and that's the same time that he would have been there. What was all in the newspaper, wasn't it? Yes, it was in a lot of newspapers. Eyewitnesses, yeah. And and it was a string uh, for maybe several months. 
I had, I had had a couple of experiences probably a year before that, but, um, and then I had a number of them that time, but, uh, yeah, there was quite a bit of, uh, there was a big flurry of UFO activity in Rockford at that time. Did right. they ever find out or um, get in? It seems to me they said something about somebody sending up a balloon with flashlights on it, but literally what I saw would not be explained by that. Um, there's no yeah. way that explained it, but if they were happy with that explanation, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they right. got to come up with something. Yeah, I mean, I remember I literally saw, sometimes I would see, like, you would see, well, the, the two that were before that were really bizarre, but um, the one that I, the, the ones that I saw, like, two or three times, you would see one light come down out of the sky, and it would suddenly separate into four or five, and they would go off in completely different directions, and then maybe they'd come back together. Maybe they wouldn't. I saw that multiple times. I even chased it, them once. Was it white light or colored? or um, They were like basically whitish yellow lights. All the same color? Uh, yes. Yes. And um, I literally chased them, but I couldn't find it. I swear it looked like, which the ending of the story presumes that the character that's supposed to be me actually finds where it is. And that's where the everything goes fictional at that point. But... I, I swear I saw it looked like it was coming down and I could see a light source like sort of expanding as it was coming down toward the ground, but I could never figure out where it went down. But the funny thing was, after I had chased it, I came back down Highway 2 and there were several squad cars and a couple of, uh, I assume they were National Guard vehicles heading up the other direction to where I had been. So I'm assuming they were looking for it too. But but that you know, a weather balloon with flashlights hanging from it isn't going to explain that away. Right. That's what Terry was imparting to me before. So tell uh, Gary about your experience, Terry. Did you- oh, it wasn't my experience. I was living in Belvedere, but my kids had grown, and uh, and Troy was still living in Rockford, and he was living with buddies, you know, roommates, and that. And they were down closer to downtown on Crosby when that was going on. Described it exactly the way Gary was describing it as as lights coming together, you know, blinking on, blinking off, coming together for like he described it as going on for weeks or a week or weeks. It was a long time. Yeah. And so it was very much the same experience that he, you know, that he had that you were describing and and so many people saw it, wasn't it? Uh, do you remember it being? It was in the newspaper. It wasn't, now, it wasn't, wasn't it? the Rockford Register Star at least a couple times. Yeah. It may have been on the news stations too. I think I mentioned that in the article I wrote. It's been you know several years since I wrote that. I I research all that stuff, so, but the research has kind of you know gone in the back of my head since then. But um, funny thing, you talk about living in Belvedere at the time. Now, interestingly enough, they said I had a couple of experiences maybe a year, year and a half earlier. And they both started when I was driving from Belvedere to Rockford. Um, In those cases, what happened was I was coming down the highway the first time. I was coming down uh, bypass 20, going from Belvedere to Rockford. And I saw the star, and for some reason, the star caught my attention. What I realized later was the star caught my attention because it was the only one in the sky because it was a cloudy night. And it just fell from the sky, just came straight down, and hovered above the highway. And I was like, whoa, what in the world is that? And I know the car in front of me saw it because he was approaching it and he put on his brake lights. His brake lights came on and he slowed way down to go underneath it. And I thought, okay, he went underneath it. Nothing happened. I'll go underneath it. So I drove underneath it. And when I got passed away, I kept looking in my rearview mirror, never saw it again. It, it didn't appear in the mirror. Well, then a week later, I was making the same drive. And the same thing happened, only it was two of them this time. And I kept noticing as I was heading into Rockford, people were flashing their high beams at me. And I thought, what on earth is this about? Well, then I get on to Mulford, uh, uh, to, uh, heading into Rockford. And all of a sudden, there's like a spotlight. I had my arm off the window because it was warm weather. I had my arm off the window. There was a spotlight that came down from above. And it lit my arm up. And I just went, whoa, what on earth is that? <laughs> Pulled my arm in. And um, 
I was like, what the heck? And <laughs> it just went away at that point, but it was, it was the weirdest thing, you know? Um, and when I, when I looked back, I literally, as soon as I drove past, I stopped and looked back and they were gone, whatever they were. But that was just such a bizarre thing. And then, then it was like probably six to eight months, if that, maybe, maybe a little less time that that whole thing started up. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, you're painting a picture of a kind of a mystical place here. I mean, Rockford seems to have its share of spooky stories or, or, or you know, legends, I guess. You know, I think every place does. And I think that people who are from around there focus on the things. But on the other hand, if you look around at UFO websites, there have been quite a few sightings and stuff that have happened in the Rockford area. And I don't, I mean, it seems like an, a, a statistically high number. I have no idea why, but it, it seems that way. Yeah. But it's not confined to UFOs either. We're talking about spirits. Yeah. And, you know, paranormal activity. Yes. Um, I got to say, all I know about Rockford going in is, uh, was that the League of the Rhone, Rockford Peaches? Yes, sir. And I guess yeah. the Amazon series now, I think. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about the happenings there. So this is all new. Oh, to me. Oh, I don't have much to contribute, but I'm, I'm listening. Also, the other Rockford claim to fame is the hometown of Cheap Trick. Uh, I, I did know that Rick Nielsen, yes. Robin Vander. Do they all live there? Uh, they all did at or one did. time, right, right around Rockford. Nielsen, um, I still. think Robin Zander. No, Robin Zander lives in Florida, I believe. Um, Bunny Carlos lives about probably five miles from me. Rick Nielsen still lives in Rockford, and uh, I think Tom Peterson. No, I think Tom Peterson lives in another state in the South now. I think, but. Yeah, they were that that was the hometown heroes, you know. Right. right. Was it uh Rick Nielsen's daughter that played at Troy's restaurant, Terry? Oh. Uh she was signed up or he was contacting her and they were working that out because they went to they were in the same school and classes and that. Yeah. They're around the same age. And so they kind of grew up with the the kids of them. Was it Nielsen's? Because I, I know Nielsen has two sons. I didn't know about a daughter. But Robin daughter Holland has been in a lot of bands. Okay. It could have been her. It was one of them. Now, I still have a couple of those kids on my Facebook that I'm friends with. Yeah. Or Facebook friends for what that's worth. But anyway, uh, uh, I know at the time... They were working it out, you know, to where they were trying to figure out a date and everything. And then Troy's restaurant started going under. And I don't I don't know if it actually ever happened or it was booked. What, what, or, what was his, what was I think it was place? in negotiations. Please. I'm sorry. What was his place? Oh, Bella's in the Mount Carroll. Oh, was his I don't, no, I don't know any about, anything about that. It was in Mount Carroll. And I think the distance was an issue for, so they had to work out, you know, hotel space for her and, and that kind of thing. So it, I can't remember if it ever really happened or not. You'd have to ask Troy. He would know. It was in the works because they knew each other and they were friends. We visited about a decade ago when Bella was open and it was a cool place. And Troy had a gift for getting like good uh, singer songwriters in there. I know that um, it was really a nice atmosphere. It was like stepping back in time a little bit, you know, I think the, the uh, booze were all made from like a church pew, church pews and stuff. Oh, nice. They were, no, they were handmade. Troy built them. Mary, uh, the stained glass lady across the street, put the stained glass. She made all that glass that was in them. Yeah. And they were kind of high back booths. Troy, he built and designed the, he gutted the whole interior and redesigned it and just tried to make it. It, it was very, very popular, but, uh, the, the demise of his marriage took a big toll on the financial end of that restaurant. Oh, and, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can do it. It can wipe you out. Wasn't there a uh, concert hall above it, or wasn't uh, not a hall, but a? They, they used to they used to have a lot of opera houses, and they would have opera. opera yeah, house. you nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it. Opera, opera house. They yeah. yeah, and they did uh, the last play that they did up there was oh way back, you know, way back past uh, as the Civil War ended was Uncle Tom's Cabin. And the story about that is to get up to the opera house are these steep, old, you know, 150, 200-year-old steps. And they had to get a donkey up there, up those steps for the play. And so there's like all kinds of stories about, you know, getting that donkey up there every night for for the play. Getting them back down is probably the hard part. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. You're probably right here, and that can be just <laughs> as hairy. Donkeys are donkeys are kind of belligerent, but I mean, how heavy is a donkey? I would think a good strong guy. Heavier can... than me. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> a couple people can carry it. <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to be in front of it on the steps. You know, or on back and back. Those back legs can kick like like a mule. That's true. Right? You want the back end, Phil? but those opera houses like i saw in american pickers they raided one of those opera houses historic pool not these posters from like the late 1800s and stuff like that that were hidden under the stage there's all kinds of spirits and things that have been reported in these like opera houses and and so some of these places are kind of mystical and one of the ones that you go over it's not an opera house, but one of the, the main things that you talk about in book two is the Tinker Swiss Cottage in yeah. Rockford. Yeah. So I wondered uh, if you could go over some of the lore behind that. Well, um, it's kind of an interesting place anyway. I've, I've been there multiple times over the years, and it's um, one of the founders of Rockford was uh, a gentleman named Tinker, and he had traveled in Europe a lot and really fell in love with some of the cottages over there. And he wanted to build one of those for his own home. And he did that. And um, there's a lot of things that happened. Um, there were train, he sold off part of the property, which became train line, the train line. And at one point he, he uh, wound up on the tracks and lost his leg to a train, um, but he survived. And, but, you know, there's a lot of family history there, but then what they did was, um, after he, after the family passed away, they wound up willing the house to, I believe, the park district. And park district runs it anyway now. And they have it set up as a museum, and it's really cool. Um, but it's supposedly haunted. There were a couple things, odd things that happened. when My wife and I went there uh, when I was working on that book so I could take a bunch of photographs. And um, it was funny. I don't think when I toured it years ago, I don't think I'd heard about the paranormal side of it. But uh, we went in and we brought, I had a still camera and I gave my wife my video camera to shoot some video. The video camera wouldn't stay on. It just kept shutting itself off, which was bizarre. She turned, we turned it on and it would just shut off. Um, so we just opted for the, the still camera, which I didn't get anything um, on the still camera. But the lady who gave us the tour, Samantha Hockman, who is the executive director of it, um, we came into one of the rooms and she said that, some of the silverware was moved from where it was supposed to be. And she said that the ghosts like to do that when they're not in there. She had to get out a a glove so that she wouldn't get oils on it. and She had to move it and everything. But um, the really bizarre thing was then when we left there, we got in the car and my wife was driving. And so I got off the video camera, turned it on and took some video of the street and it didn't shut off. It only shut off in the house, which was kind of bizarre. Um, Particularly because I'm I'm ever the skeptic. Actually, I write about all this stuff, and I love the spooky stories, but I'm ever the skeptic, so I can't really explain that one very well. Why it would shut off in there, and you know, not anywhere else. So it was camera shy. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's literally what Samantha said. That the the ghosts tend to be kind of camera shy. That was the first house with electricity. You say in your book? Um, in, in Rockford? Don't know. It might have been. I don't. I. It, it, you know, we're going back to that book that's several years ago, and I don't really remember uh, a lot of the details. Um, it, it's funny because I'm always I'm always on the next books I'm working on. And when you're talking about opera houses, 
uh, one of the most recent articles I wrote that isn't in a book yet, but it's coming out in Spooky Berwin too, is about the Woodstock Opera House in Woodstock, Illinois, because it's supposedly very haunted. And when you know you were talking, you're talking about the opera houses. I thought of that uh, kind of interesting point about that one is that Orson Welles got his start there. Uh, oh. He was at a, he was at a um, uh, one of the schools were for troubled kids, and in that area, and he started doing theater at that opera house. That was and he was uh, doing shows all the, there all the time, and um, you know until he wound up going off to college. But you know it's it's supposedly very haunted too, and it had a number of fires and things. But right, another venue that you talk about is the Roadhouse. Yeah, I didn't remember. Did I did I talk about that in that book? I don't remember it being in there. I don't know if I got it from your book, but it was one that I. Oh. The reason I asked is because I'm actually doing something about that in Spooky State Line, which is going to cover the greater Rockford area, which is coming out on September 4th. And I've, I've been talking with the guy who owns it, and I looked up a lot of the history of the Roadhouse. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty closer to Oregon, isn't it? It's, it's kind of... It's in Oregon, yeah. My my family actually came from Oregon, Illinois. So um, I know Oregon pretty... And I've got a bunch of cousins down there. I didn't mean to get down there to take pictures of the place, but um, yeah. That's uh that's an interesting one. There was um there was an incident in I think it was the nineteen fifties maybe. Mm-hmm. And again, I got I'd have to look at my notes. It's been a few weeks since I wrote since I wrote about this. But um there was a young lady, young meaning she was underage, she was uh 17, 18 years old, but she pretended to be older and liked to go hang out with older men. And she had a date with a, like a 22, 23-year-old guy. And they went out, and the last place they were seen alive was the roadhouse. They had been dancing there and stuff. They left there, and nobody saw them again until a couple days later when his car was found and his body was found. And they were looking for her, and they wound up, wound up finding her body directly across the street from the roadhouse in like a... a vacant lot um and supposedly she still haunts the place but it's got an interesting history anyway because it was during prohibition there was a speakeasy in the basement and even after prohibition was done they held uh illegal poker parties and things downstairs they had like a gambling venue down there and if you go there which i haven't done yet i want to do you can uh get a tour of the old uh the old stuff down in the basement and they've supposedly had quite a few uh, ghostly things happen around there. Okay. So we have a friend that has a podcast called Rock and Roll Heaven. There's our plug. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lindley, or LD, she goes on ghost hunts, like you see on these uh, mm-hmm. pseudo-documentary shows on uh, Discovery Channel and stuff, right. um, where they look at glowing orbs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you do that? Do you, uh, do you go on those X... Ex- all right. Um, so <laughs> years and years ago, I used to do things like that without the formalities of it and without the gear and stuff. Right. And I've had some odd experiences in that regard. But other, uh, as I said, I'm ever the skeptic. So I'm always coming up with other explanations, largely my own imagination. Um, but yeah, I've done some things that were like that. And I do it, still do it for fun. Uh, when we went and visited Bachelors Grove Cemetery, I was hoping to get something, and uh, there were a couple of oddities. I don't know if you know about Bachelors Grove Cemetery, but that's considered one of the most considered one of the most, if not the most, haunted cemetery in the United States, and it's in the Chicago area. My friend and I went there, um, and so there were pictures there, right? I mean, a lot yes. of pictures in your book. Yep. Oh, yes, I don't. Think there are pictures. Well, there are pictures of I don't know one of them anyway. Yeah, these, yeah, these books uh, are mostly in Rockford, though, right? What's it? No, it's not in Rockford. It's in the Chicago suburbs, yeah. about I don't know, hour and ten minutes away. Um, but it's um, yeah, I went there to hopefully see something and didn't exactly. But some of the pictures were a little odd that I got. Okay, but the cemetery, Bloods Point Cemetery. Yes, that's highlighted in the book, right? Yes. Yeah. So you have a... That was in the first book, I know. Yes, it was. Lisa, her her family used to have what they called lunch on the grounds, and it was a picnic. I have... 
I had heard of those. Those those were a thing. one of my one of a radio uh, lady uh, who was one of the morning hosts that I went on their show. She was telling me because she lived in the Chicago suburbs. They used to do that at Baxter's Grove Cemetery. Right. Yeah, it's it's where the family gets together and they hold a picnic on the grounds where a lot of their uh, yeah. family rests and That's eat fried chicken and drink lemonade <laughs> in, a, in a graveyard. Bachelor's Grove, she said they used to have like a community picnic thing there. They would have musicians or whatever, clowns to entertain the kids or whatever there. Yeah. I mean, that strikes some people as very strange. I'm, I'm remiss for not having shown you and Lisa Hollywood Forever Cemetery when you were out here. That is the most bizarre place you'll ever see. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That's next, so- next time, that's top yeah. of the list. Right. Yeah, we went to California, and Aaron was our tour guide, and did a fantastic. They had a lot of they had a lot of spooky things they on their list they wanted to see. So I tried my best. To, we, we went to the site of the old Spawn Ranch, and oh, now that would be interesting. I'd love to. Go yeah. There. yeah. Well, we didn't hike through it though, like like someone someone might have if yeah, <laughs> they weren't there, I guess. But supposedly, I, supposedly there might still be bodies there that haven't been discovered. I heard. There could be. It's, it's also in the shadow of the nuclear disaster that several nuclear disasters that went unreported. They oh, happened yeah. in the they happened in the 50s and uh, were just, they were uncovered in like 1979 by a student at UCLA. Oh, wow. I've not heard of that. that that's interesting. I'll have to research yeah, that. Santa Susana Field Laboratory. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Well, and we also uh, we we booked the apache hotel on fremont street which is reportedly oh, haunted in las vegas yeah yeah i specifically wanted to stay there because i had heard it's haunted you know but we got there we stayed approximately 10 minutes because it was right on fremont street which if you've ever been there that is absolute uh chaos i mean it's like music it's i love being on fremont street but when it was time to go to sleep you can't sleep there <laughs> but uh but yeah. So uh, anyway, this, this, the, I, don't, I don't know if it's a fascination or a being drawn to cemeteries, but that seems to be something that uh, is very much part of some people's curiosity stream, I guess. Well, and, and that seems so, to be the case with you, right? I mean, there's weird, gaudy headstones and sculptures and stuff at the Hollywood Forever. There's like rocket ships and. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I I I love cemeteries. To me. Um, to me, a cemetery is often sort of art because a lot of the tombstones are very artsy, and yet there's history there, and um, a real. You also get the natural beauty combining with it. I, I'm a big, big, big fan of cemeteries. I I love them. It's like I saw the Flaming know. Lips perform at the at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. What's they that? have concerts. They have concerts at the at really? the Hollywood Forever. I saw the Flaming Lips there. Oh, wow. Perform an album in its entirety. It was cool. I I love walking through cemeteries and just you know, and it's like everybody talks about like where we're talking about Bachelors Grove Cemetery. Everybody talks about that place as being scary and everything. To me, it's very relaxing. It's very welcoming. Um, it just if it, it just was very pleasant experience to me. Yeah. What is the history of um, the cemetery out there by? Uh, what is it? The uh, Hollywood mm-hmm. Forever? That one? No, the, no, no, the that's one we're talking not about. Not out there. The You're blood, talking about the, the blood, blood Point? Blood, blood point. Road. Yeah, Blood that's Point Road or whatever. What is it? And is there some kind of, isn't there some stories yeah. out that way about that Beulah the Witch or yeah, something? We, supposedly. I don't know. Um, there are. I think most of those stories, if, if you look up most of the stories, um, a lot of them are ones that sort of go out from cemetery to cemetery. They're just like yeah. urban legends that sort of... Are, urban legends. And then yeah, because the, the yeah, they talk about hellhounds. We a lot of cemeteries. Supposedly, there was a bus, a, a school bus of children that crashed over a bridge. And there's no evidence that that ever happened. Yeah. But people say it did. Um, Bloods Point's a beautiful. Be, be hard to keep that out of the papers. Yeah, Bloods yeah. Point's a beautiful little cemetery. Uh, it's got some really, really cool uh, 
tombstones like the the ones that look like um like old tree tree stumps and stuff beautiful um i don't know if there's anything there i, I again skeptic that i am yeah. I, don't, I don't buy it but it's it's an interesting little legend and there's all these other legends that came around there that there's um some place that you could stop on the road and your car will die or yeah and like, i think a lot of that is teenagers keep those urgent because they like to creep each other out right yeah. so the legends carry on and on you know I, through I wonder, the, I wonder how much of that is teenage boys wanting to get teenage girls really scared out in the dark in their car. <laughs> there you a go. Lot, a lot. Uh, about ninety-two <laughs> percent. Yeah. About ninety-two. <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and stick our commercial break in here? You know, ghost hunting is good for tourism. Well, bachelor, or, uh, back in the back seat. One point discourages it big time. There have been some really, really bad vandalism situations. In fact, if I remember right, it's been like four or five years ago, but I think someone burned down a house right by uh, Blood's Point uh, because they were screwing around there because these people go and vandalize and stuff like that. So they very much discourage anything like that there. Yeah, I try to downplay it. Yeah, I I was looking at photos of Blood's Point after I was reading it, and I saw a video on online, and yet yeah, all all the tombstones are like knocked over, and yeah, um, oh, was, that's horrible. One of, one of them had the name Bacon on it, and someone spray painted Yum. Oh, oh that's so disrespectful. And so, well, Bachelor's Grove is one that. Um, until they started fixing it back up, that place was completely destroyed. I mean, people went in there and, and moved, uh, destroyed headstones and moved them and things. And it's like, come on, yeah. guys, <laughs> show a little respect. <laughs> supposedly, supposedly a bachelor's grove, again, urban legend, who knows if this actually happened, but supposedly in the 70s, uh, some kind of a, a dark arts cult started going and doing rituals in there. And uh, who knows what desecration they did because they thought it was cool. Right. Well, there's a, you talk about the seventies and you're a music guy. So we'd be remiss not to mention the satanic panic, you know, and how oh, yeah. a lot of these legends were perpetuated by, you know, teenagers who actually enjoyed the, uh, the, the uh, hysteria that it would cause in their overly religious parents and evangelists and how their favorite bands were on uh, morning Sunday morning uh, television shows where they're doing backwards masking and stuff. And um, so a lot of that's, uh, there's a legacy of that still. I know here in Cincinnati, like some of our suburbs, it seemed that it seems to fester in areas where you have affluent young white men, um, you know, like Mason and uh, Loveland and, you know, but that's that's something that's never really gone away and people are still fascinated with that. And I think that still kind of helps to, to you know, perpetuate the whole um, creepy industry, I guess. Actually, you, you want to talk about that a funny little tie in there. Um, I actually just recently came back to a memory I had from years ago. Uh, I had this fascination for a little while with a band called Abby Kasabian and the only reason I had a fascination with that band is my friend and I used to cut class once in a while and walk down to this head shop. And um, they had in this head shop, they had this like display made up of, and I think it said there was an album, but I don't remember, but I remember they had the name Abby Kasabian in big marker letters and they had a big upside down cross in aluminum foil and they had uh, like the signatures of the band members. It said something like to the, to the girls of, of grass, the grass menagerie. And I always wanted to hear this band and I have never, ever been able to find anything about them <laughs> over the years. And it's funny because I was literally just asking about it yesterday and you brought up that whole fascination with the, the black, dark music and stuff. Cause I always figured, I think it actually, I think the poster actually said satanic blessings or something like that. And I, it fascinated me. Um, at the time, I was very much into the dark 
stuff like that. And, and I was very fascinated with it. If anybody watching this or hearing this knows anything about a band called Abby Kasabian, and it's not the more recent band called Kasabian, uh, I'm guessing they're from this region here in Northern Illinois, but I don't know. Please get in touch with me. I'd love to know about that band. Abby Kasabian. There you go. Yep. Oh, I asked the kids. Yeah. This one, <laughs> yeah. This would have been Didn't fun. a lot of them Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't this, a lot of them at that time play out in um around Cherryville, Cherryville Bowl? Oh, Cherry Bowl. I used to have friends who played there and I used to go out Yeah. Cherry Bowl was The funny thing is I found out years later I found some articles. Apparently, the gentleman who ran Cherry Bowl was associated with the Rockford wing of the mafia. And uh, that was like a mob joint, apparently, that I didn't realize. Oh, my uh-huh. kids hung out there. Huh. They were in all kinds of stuff I didn't know. <laughs> I have to ask her. The <laughs> truth, she's in her 40s now. She's like uh, 45, 46. Yeah. You know? The older she gets, you know, the more the truth of what was really going on back yeah, then. Yeah, because comes... you're not getting punished for this stuff anymore. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your books are like a collaborative effort. It's not just, you know, there's some other authors that contribute to these books, at least. Yeah, not. I, I've got a few books that are just mine, but I try to, I like to... Um, taken articles from other people because it's always good to get different people's viewpoints and um, right. also I like to give, I, it's funny I got a, a gentleman named Del Merritt and I didn't realize what this means to some of these people because I just said okay let's do this and if you want to submit some stuff great and he said that you know it was literally what let him realize that he could go out there and do his own stuff too and he said that he thinks a lot of people who I've published for the first time are probably very, you know, inspired by it and it kind of helps them out. And I never thought about it that way. I mean, yeah, it's great to get their stuff out there, but I only put the stuff out there because it's things I think should be out there. I don't really think about, you know, giving these people a break or anything, but he sort of uh, said I was, which which I feel good about that too. But yeah. Yeah. Like some, some of it is uh, uh, historical. Yes. Some of it is fictional. Yes. Um, you mentioned your story. Your story before that was adaptive of a real right. uh, experience. So I think that's good. To, uh, you know, I like I like anthology TV. You know, where you have a, a beginning, middle, and end on an episode of something, and you have another. You know, I enjoy that format. Um, but uh, you're a seasoned writer from uh, doing music reviews and interviews and the music street journal um so why don't we talk a little bit about your music i know that you're a huge yes fan oh yeah yeah um and a progressive rock fan and uh have been immersed in that scene for the majority of your life yes sir so aaron you saw yes didn't you i I don't think you went Mm -hmm. and we I've seen them three times, I think, twice in Cincinnati and once at the Greek Theater. What years? Um, I'll come back to you and tell you exactly in a few minutes, but uh, I'd say 88, probably 87, 88, and 93. Nice. So was that were, were those... One of the, I think at least one of those was the Union Tour, right? Saw the Union Tour at um, Cincinnati uh, Riverfront Col- Riverfront Coliseum. That was an amazing tour, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I saw at Music Hall, or what's uh, the concert awesome. hall there in Cincinnati? Yeah, Cincinnati Music Hall. What year was yeah. that? Taft, Taft Theater. Well, oh, man, that was early because I was either just graduating from high school or it was my first year out of high school. So it had been in the early 70s they played there. Oh, nice. I would have loved to have seen them then. I, um, in those days, I had what I called the Yes Curse. Um, if you want to hear some of, the, some of the history of my Yes fandom, um, I first got turned on to yes i bought i went, went to a garage sale and i was like 12 years old and i bought two records i bought a bob dylan live album 
and I bought this album called Close to the Edge by this group I'd never heard of called Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I really liked the Bob Dylan album. I put the Yes album on and I was like, what in the world is this? It's terrible. Put it away for about six months and um, dug it out again. I thought, well, I remember not liking this, but let's see how bad it is. Put it on. You know, this isn't that bad. So maybe a week later, I dug it out again, put it on. I was like, wow, I really like this. And then it wound up not leaving my turntable for a month and a half. And I became this yes fanatic. And but the funny thing was, every time I would try to go see them, something would go wrong. Um, one time we couldn't get tickets. Another time, a friend of mine, I couldn't drive yet. A friend of mine was like, yeah, I'll get your ticket. You just pay me for it and I'll drive. And like two or three days before the show, he's like, oh, yeah, somebody else. I sold somebody else your ticket. You can't go. I'm like, <laughs> so I literally didn't get to see them until they were with Trevor Rabin on the 90125 tour. Uh, because every time I tried before that, something went wrong. Yeah. Phil saw that tour, right? You and yeah. Rusty, when we were, that, that had to have been 86. Right, right. It was pretty loud. 83, <laughs> 90125 tour. Was it, was it 83, that? Yeah. I was struck by the presentation. I think John Anderson had this like, this suit that had like yellow and white and black squares all over it. You could see it from the back of the damn, yeah. you know, Coliseum. And uh, they had, I think the drummer was up on this huge circular, you know, uh, platform and it's, and, and the strobe lights were just, you know, it was like a really good show. I was thinking, how old is this? But I mean, this band looks like it was brand new to me. I mean, you know, I didn't, I wasn't that familiar with yes. I'd kind of crammed and listened to a, um, uh, you know, some albums before that, but you've interviewed uh, John Anderson, right? Yeah, several times. Multiple yeah. times. I've, inter- I've interviewed and met most of the guys. There were a lot of the guys in the band, yeah. Uh, it I, took me a while to get into Yes, because I think my first exposure was Tales from Topographic Oceans uh, or something. That, that you know, is a challenge now. <laughs> it's not the most accessible, and, and yeah, the 9021, not, not, thank you. Not the Beverly Hills. (laughs) Um, I didn't really get into that so much until Big Generator. And then I kind of got back into, into the, you know, it's funny. A lot of yes fanatics hate Big Generator, but I love Big Generator. There's a real jazz sort of thing going on. A lot of that that I really like. I don't like, I don't love every song on there. In fact, Rhythm of Love is the one yes song that I really don't like very much. Mm But um, because I, I'm not a big fan of the Beach Boys and that whole intro is very Beach Boys-ish and it just kind of... Yeah, broke. but it's John Anderson doing it, so... Yeah, but, Trevor uh, the funny thing is Topographic Oceans is one that so many Yes fanatics are crazy about and that's another album I kind of don't get. I, mean, I, I like it now. I didn't like it when, when I was 11 I, I, or whatever. <laughs> I've, I've tried and it's like I, I like parts of it but I think rather than a double record, it's good to have on in the background while you're doing something. Yeah, it's good for that. But I mean, I think as a, as a instead of a double record set, if they'd cut it down to a single album, I think it would have been a better better album. But that's my take. Yeah. Everybody's got different tastes. What album is all good people? All good people on. That's on the Yes album. The Yes album. Not okay. to be confused with the album titled Yes, which was their right. first album. Yeah, love that song. Yeah. The one with the speech bubble exclamation yeah, yeah. point. Yeah. I guess as prog rock goes, I'm more of a, you know, I like yes, but like you, hot and cold on some of it. But, you know, I was like really into Jethro Tall and Lisa was like, well, that's guy yeah. music. No woman ever <laughs> listens to Jethro Tall. You know, it's like. I, heard that I love Ian Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Those legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've right. seen Jethro Tull four times. Long, skinny legs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was. They say he was a piece of work. He was like difficult to work with. You know, very. Uh, I don't know. Like uh, I, I joked with uh, Gary that I saw him. I saw him without Tony Iommi you know? <laughs> <laughs> because Tony Iommi he, from Black Sabbath. He joined Jethro Tull for about five minutes and couldn't tolerate uh, Ian at all. So he went back to Ozzy. I think, was, like, I think that might have been pre-Sabbath, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, um, of course, progressive rock. People, some people don't know what you mean when you say prog rock. And it's like, I got to kind of 
like, how do you describe that? You know, you talk, you start naming bands rather than trying right, to describe right. what it is. You know, you say, well, you're talking about Pink Floyd, Emerson Lake and Palmer, you know, you're talking about, um, yes. And, uh, it's you know. funny. There's a, there's a big debate about that to this day. And to me, there are a couple, couple different definitions of progressive rock. Um, there's the definition of the prog rock of the seventies, which you listen to a few of the bands, you know what it is, you know, but then there's also the idea of progressing rock music forward. And a lot of those bands don't do that anymore. King Crimson might be the exception. They've always sort of been very progressive because I think yeah. Robert Fripp doesn't like to sit in one place for very long. And he, Saw them a few years ago. Yeah. You, I've always wanted to see them. I never did. Three drummers right in front. Oh, that was, see now the, the most recent lineup of King Crimson, I think is probably the most amazing lineup because up until then, when they would change lineups, the sound would change so much that I don't think the new lineup could do the old stuff very well, but this new lineup could do any period of the band and make it sound good. Yeah. It was, it was an amazing show. Yeah. And, and it's just, so that, that I think is pretty, but, but I think that a lot of times, and I, when I, when I do music street journal, I like to sort of challenge people's perceptions of what's progressive rock. So I tend to stretch the limits of what I call prog rock. Um, because to some degree there, there are people I call prog snaps. I've heard other people call them more rude <laughs> comments, but they like, oh, that's not progressive rock. And they stick their nose up at it. And it's like, I like to sort of mess with those guys sometimes because <laughs> yeah. you know what? It's all music. It's supposed to be fun. And it's everybody's idea of it. What I think is prog rock may not be what you think and vice versa. And it doesn't right. matter. You know, as long as you enjoy it, it doesn't matter. Is Rush prog rock? Um, I think there was a period of time when Rush was they, prog yeah, definitely prog rock. Prog yeah, rock. There, there was a period of time um, from probably a caress of steel, at least through hemispheres, probably beyond hemispheres, where they were prog rock. And there have been some moments after that. I'd even, I'd even call their 80s stuff as, as prog was at that time. Prog. Well, yeah, yeah. Prog went weird in the 80s. It went sort of pop-oriented. and I mean... You listen to stuff like Asia and that, and it's like, yeah, yeah. it's prog rock, but it's very pop oriented prog rock. Right. It's very, it's very dated too. Yeah. You know, and now you find yourself in eighty <laughs> two. <laughs> We're losing. What is prog rock? Is that progressive? Progressive yeah. rock. Yeah. Progressive yeah. rock. How are you defining this? I'm. You're losing me. Well, in the seventies, <laughs> in the seventies, it's funny too because in the seventies, it literally meant. Um, you were progressing rock music beyond just the simple song structures, simple 4-4 four, four beats. You changed time signatures a lot. They pulled in a lot of classical music, some jazz, and things like that. Moody um, blues. Okay, you're talking about my era. A style of rock yeah. music popular especially in the 1970s and characterized by classical influences, the use of keyboard instruments, and lengthy compositions. Okay, so that's kind of my time period and my taste in the yeah. 70s and that of the music I listened to and whose concerts I went to. Yeah. That, that era, is that right. what that is? Yeah, so the Jethro Tull and Rush and okay. Yes would all be those longer, Kansas, you know, long yeah. compositions. Kansas, Kansas is a good example. Okay, I'm all ca I'm caught up. And, the, and it has... <laughs> Has usually has more of a classical vibe, right? And what I, I don't know, would you would you call ELO progressive? No, they definitely they're more time. they're more polished. I don't, I don't they're more pop. I don't. They, yeah, you might have to for a time by this definition. You might have to. Yeah, I think they I think they really were. Um, they went a lot more pop later, but I think early on they were very prog rock. And the funny thing is, what what I get I find interesting is when you get into some of the newer prog bands. Uh, I, Dream Theater comes to mind, and it's like all these all these old prog heads were cool with bringing whatever you could bring folk music, you could bring uh, choral music, you know, you, you could bring Renaissance oh. music, all that into it, and they were fine with it. But as soon as Dream Theater brought a little bit of heavy metal in, they were like, "That's not prog rock." Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. They're just grabbing another another taste in there, and I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, what's reg rock then? Regressive. I would Chuck Berry. I don't know. <laughs> and a God of Davida, maybe. 
That's kind of regret. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we strayed off a little bit, but let's 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 resort back to this as we wind down. Let's resort back to this the uh, shadier uh, side of life. What what is this the spooky ventures? Why don't you explain what that is? So, um, spooky ventures I launched two years ago, maybe something like that. And the idea was I wanted to start doing some video stuff and maybe releasing some merchandise with spooky things because, you know, to me, I, I really do love the spooky side of things. And, um, so I just sort of put that together and I do videos on there, uh, sometimes video reviews, video interviews. Um, I do spooky places once in a while, but I haven't done as many of those as I wanted to. Um, and uh, it's basically a YouTube channel, more or less, but the YouTube channel also goes to a website. And there's a lot of spooky merchandise you can get there, uh, spooky venture shirts and um you know, all kinds of, through Cafe Press, we got all kinds of merch. Um, and it's just sort of a home for all things spooky. My idea was to, to create a place where people could go. Plus, the YouTube channel has playlists that let you get other people's spooky videos. And I thought it would be a good place to just sort of gather together spooky things. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's kind of fun. Yeah. That kind of freeform, creative uh, media. Yeah. Outfit. Free form yeah. in a way, except that there is actually a schedule to when the videos post. Um, every Monday, there is a spooky audiobook, which I don't do. I don't record these audiobooks usually. Sometimes I'll do some of my own stories on there, but most of the time they come from uh, LibriVox, uh, which has free audio audio uh, recordings of old books, old public domain books. And so I'll take short stories from there and put video pictures to make videos. And then um, Tuesdays are where interviews go. Wednesdays I do reviews. Um, Thursdays are old radio shows that are spooky. And again, I just take the audio and add video pictures to make videos. Fridays, when I do them, is for spooky news. I was doing them every week for a while, and then yeah. it just got to be a bit much. So I do them every week for sure in October, but not... I haven't done one since October, actually. I think. Right. But, um, and then Fridays. Waiting for spooky season. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, Fridays right. is um, what goes up on Fridays. Uh, it's been a while since I've done it. Oh, no, Fridays is spooky news. That's what I said. Yeah. And Saturdays do spooky features, which we had a new interview go up on there. It was an interview I did for Tales of Wonder and Dread with uh, Elizabeth Lynn Blackson. Let me plug her. Uh, I just. For Tales of Wonder and Dread, I just published um, a new book. The first time we've done a book that I had no hand in other than editing and assembling the book um, by this new author, Elizabeth Lynn Blackson. Well, new is in, it's her first novel, but she's written a lot of stuff before. And it's this really great novel called A Girl's Gotta Eat. It's sort of dark urban fantasy uh, with a lot of horror elements. And uh, it's the first of a trilogy we're doing. With wow. Hers. Um, there's an interview with her that just went up uh, today. And, um, oh, Sunday is when spooky places go up, but there hasn't been one of those in several years. So, um, yeah, so there is a pattern to it. It's not quite free form, but. Yeah. Well, that's a lot, man. I'm telling you. Like, I, I, I do one podcast a week. Yeah. Just editing and doing the cover uh, thing that, you know, that goes oh, yeah. up on. Uh, and uh, just putting it all together. You know, I barely get it done anymore. It's oh, like no, it's, the fun part is what we're doing here. You know, the, it's a lot harder work yeah. than people think it is. Yeah, it's. I, I feel like we should. When we, I missed some serious names in the prog rock thing. We got left to touch on before we finish. Okay, we'll do that. I wanted to ask Terry though because I know she talked to a man, my niece Amanda and my nephew Troy, her children, about in preparation for coming on, and and they had some you know some discussions about it right i mean there, there's some things that uh some talking points that you wanted to touch on terry oh oh i was gonna ask gary about if he's ever the is mostly like the um you know the haunted rock hauntings in rockford and that kind of thing and if he ever like um so 
supposedly there's a lot of activity because of the Indian mounds down there. And I call it Beatty Park. Rockford people call it Beatty Park. Right. But that whole river area uh, is supposedly kind of very active, like the Coronado, I think you yes. touched on in one of your books. And then, um, uh, uh, oh, 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 the office. The first gay bar in Rockford, there's supposed to be a lot of activity in there. Really? No, I haven't heard about that. I'm, I'm yeah, it's supposed to be really spooked out. And then that right next to it is the Irish Rose. Now, not so much there, but in the office, it's down there. And in between there, I think you have um, that. Ho- it used to be the Hotel Jackson up on the second floor. Okay. I didn't know but about those are- yeah, I didn't either. These are ones that my kids told me. So it could just be, you know, kid through the kid grapevine. Filtered there... Mouths of babes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can look some of that up for uh some of that up for spooky state line too, because I'll be doing that hopefully in another year. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of, I guess, things that I don't know if you had any answers to or just knew if it was kid talk or if it was anything real. Uh, Link, you at least give him something to chew on for his next project. I, I do right. know that, that it's not too far from where the Indian Bureau grounds in, but, uh, and it might actually still be old Indian Bureau ground. If you go over sort of up, I don't know if you know where the Olympic Tavern is. But oh yeah, if you yeah. go up in that area around Fulton, uh-huh. there uh, that's where Camp, I think part of Camp Grant used to be there too, um, I believe. And it wasn't the main Camp Grant, but part of Camp Grant was there. And there has been a lot of activity reported. And I've seen, I, I can think of one instance when I saw something really odd that I haven't written about yet because um, it's really, really tiny little thing and it's like I haven't found a place to put it. Um, but one time, um, many years ago, I was coming home from a concert with my ex-wife, and we were driving down Fulton, and it was, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe, because we were coming from Chicago. We are driving down Fulton, and both of us saw this little black girl wearing a white dress standing in the middle of the road. And we drove past, and we both turned and looked back. Nobody there. Um. <laughs> uh... Now that there was right there on camp where you're talking about is where like one of those famous Rockford murders took place where the dad killed the whole family. Well, that was uh, Simon, Simon Peter Nelson. Yeah, that was down the other side of Maine. On Maine, down around Maine and that. Yeah, the side of Maine Street. That was, was pretty crazy. I've been, I've been wanting to get a hold of the people who own that house to see if there's anything going on there, but they've never gotten back to me. I've tried several times. Yeah. I don't know. I've been in the house because at the time we're like a few years after we moved to Rockford and we were looking to buy a house, the realtor that was driving that house had been cleaned up and uh, redone and was on the market. And it was one of the houses that she took me to as far as, you know, checking out houses. So I was riding with her and, um, and then I can remember, it. so, you know, you did the normal realtor walk through the basement looking for water and junk and didn't really have, I didn't know, you know, that any murder had taken place there. You wouldn't know. And it wasn't until. Realtor would know. Yeah. Melva told me afterwards when we decided not that that wasn't the house for us, then she goes, well, you didn't want that place anyway. You know, and she told me the history of the house. And I go, well, why didn't you tell me? You could have saved yourself a trip. You know, I don't want to move into a murder house. And she goes, well, legally, we don't have to tell you until you make an offer. And then we have to disclose it. And I go, oh, well. (laughs) I've got got another funny one to tell you. This was, um, and I know nothing about the history of this place, or if there is a history of this place, but it was kind of funny because um, over off of Fulton, I don't know if you know where Pinnon's Meat Market is, but like right down the street, like a block or two from there on a corner, there was this yeah. house and it kept, it kept selling and then it would go up for sale like a year later, less than a year later. And I kept getting this really weird feeling when I drive by that house. So it was up for sale 
HUD had it and they were selling it and there was a sign there. I called them one day and I asked them, I said, um, how much is that house selling for? And they gave me a price and it was a pretty low price. And I said, now, is that price so low because of the hauntings in it? And the lady stopped and said, how do you know about that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, said, I don't. I was just guessing. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. They have to tell you if you make an offer or something, then it becomes legal and they have to reveal the history. They don't have to tell you about hauntings, but they got to tell you about murders. Yeah, they do have to tell you about murders. It depends on the murders and hauntings. I think I'd. But that house is supposed to have activity in it. That's why it's always on the market. Yeah, I, I think would, why they if, haven't been able to sell it. I would think if there were going to be haunted houses as brutal as that was, I would think there would be hauntings there because that was really yeah. see. Now, my ex husband, I know Fulton well because uh, he worked in Ingersoll in that main office when you go down Fulton, mm-hmm. where it's uh, it's Ingersoll on both sides, but yeah. one's uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was down there quite a bit in the Olympic is where, right. you know, they'd go for after we'd meet them down there for after dinner or after work hours and that well, kind of thing. I was going to say that, that talking about um, the um, Spooky Rockford 2, there's uh, one in there. Uh, I think I call this call it a spirited New Year's where I talked about an incident that happened in a house. And that house was literally from where we saw the little girl in the street. It was literally like a block away from there. Uh, When the house was still there, it was torn down by the time that happened. But, and it was a pretty bizarre thing that happened in that house. But, um, so I don't know, that whole area just seems really kind of weird to me. See, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't depend on realtors to tell me anything. I carry around a little spirit detector everywhere I go. (laughs) I'm figuring this out myself. It's funny. There's there's actually, you look it up um, in the state of New York, and I don't remember what city, but if you Google it, you can find it. If you Google something like a house declared haunted by law or something, there was a case in New York State where um, somebody bought a house and supposedly it was haunted. And they sued the person who sold them the house. And they said that it was sold to be sold, sold to them as without occupants, but it was occupied. And according to the court record, it was declared that the house was haunted and therefore occupied, and they wound up getting out of the sale. Wow. That's probably why they have that clause on it now where they have to tell you. Probably. Yeah, that gets them out of the liability. Right. That's about as close as you can get to officially haunted property. Right, right. Yeah, it's court ordered. Yeah, the court says it's haunted. Yeah, Yeah. right. It's not a rumor. It's not a legend. This is yeah, it's a cool job. <laughs> All right. Well, Aaron, why don't you plug those Prague Rock? Um, oh, we we okay. should have mentioned we should have mentioned the Moody Blues. We should have mentioned Pink Floyd. Oh yeah, and uh, modern Prague Rock example. Oh, uh, Emerson Lake and Palmer, and um, they they list Tool as being Prague Rock, and I can't argue with that. I guess no, I can't either. I, I wouldn't argue if somebody called Fish Prog Rock, but they're not. They're a jam band, but they're I, my favorite band. I remember somebody told me once about Fish, and I haven't heard that much Fish stuff, but somebody said they're a completely different band from one song to the other. And from what I've heard, I completely agree. Uh, sometimes they are very much Prog Rock. Sometimes they're very much like the Grateful Dead, uh, who I'm a, I love the Grateful Dead. Sometimes uh, it'll be bluegrass. Yeah, I mean, they're they're... It's like you wouldn't believe they, it's the same band sometimes. They do an acapella ber- version of Freebird that's a trip. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's almost like uh, if, if you were to tell them, oh, I, I just don't care for your music, they'll be like, wait a minute. Which song? If you like this. <laughs> oh, wait yeah. a minute. You know. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they, they, just, they just nod probably. So, yeah, yeah, it's not for you. <laughs> right. You obviously haven't heard all of it then. <laughs> Yeah. Well, my first impression was that, okay, this sounds like the Grateful Dead to me. And so from then on, I was like, you know, that that was my <clears throat> go-to whenever they'd come up. I was like, well, I like the Grateful Dead, but this is not the Grateful Dead. But then there, there's a huge overlap between Deadheads and Fishheads. Mm-hmm. 
Right, right. Mar- uh, what do you call that? Shakedown Street uh, and all that type yeah. of culture. There's, there's bleed over, right? But, yeah, the same uh, vibe. But the music, it, they're not the you know they're not the same. They're not the same well, band at all. Two bands are really ever the same. Yeah, they do yeah. great versions of like uh, was it No Quarter that they? Yeah, they do, was, they do probably it, any they, song I name. They probably done it once, right? Almost. But uh, yeah, so. Uh, so I would I would throw out Lisa's big last question here, and it's kind of an open ended question. But since she's not here, I'll ask it. Was there anything that we failed to cover that you feel like you were prepared to talk about or wanted to bring up um, on the episode? All right. Let me just say, first off, that's literally the question that I usually end interviews with, too. Is something you would have liked to have covered. So it's a great question. <laughs> I think it's a great question. Um, You know, coming into this interview, given our conversations, I had not a clue what we were going to talk about, really. So I really wasn't prepared for anything. I was like, there's so much I would have to prepare for that I'm just going to have to hope I know what I'm talking about. As as bizarre as that sounds, because there's just such a wide scope of stuff. I couldn't really, you know, like I said, some of the books, I I don't really remember that well because they've been so long ago and I'm always on the stuff I'm on working on so um you know i i don't can't think of anything um except to say that you know if you want to know more about music street journal check out musicstreetjournal.com if you want to know more about my books uh check out garyhillauthor.com and you can get to everything from there anyway and if you want to know more about spooky ventures check out spookyventures.com and um my motto is always keep it spooky so keep it spooky Keep it spooky, stupid. Keep it spooky. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Gary Hill. It's nice been a fun you, hour. Hey, yeah, nice really to meet you guys. This was a lot of fun. Gary and Terry. It's a, I, it's nice to see you again, Terry. It was delightful hey, hearing you tell us about um, haunted gay bars in Rockford. Yeah. It's the thing. You guys all ought to get in touch with me. I'd love to chat with any of you anytime. We'll have you on again someday when Lisa can join. Yes, Lisa, get well, please. Yeah, I'll let her know you said you said it, your it love. Sounds like she's on the road to recovery, so that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. All right, guys. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye Phil. Bye, Terry. Love you. We have social. Twitter. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Instagram. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Facebook. Yeah, uh-huh, pod. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week. Hey.